<laughs> is that better? Can you hear me a little better? Okay, I'll try not, I'll try not to yell. Uh, we are continuing our sermons. Please open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. I encourage you if, you, if you did miss the first sermon, I encourage you to go back. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube at like three times speed. I'll talk a little bit like this. But go and watch it and catch up to where we are in this exciting series. Last week we really looked at um, Nehemiah approaching the walls or, or hearing news about the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, how they had been burned down and destroyed. They had not been rebuilt and the terrible state of the kingdom of God. And we compare that, of course, to the state of the kingdom of God in our own lives, the, those places in our families, those places in our neighborhoods, perhaps in our church or our nation and our communities, and asking ourselves, how are we discontent? Where are the places that we get stirred up and what is God calling us? us to do. What we're going to see today in Nehemiah is that something happens after months of praying. I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm going to stop there. Um, We are going to continue that series. And and one of the questions that we are hoping hoping to address today is, um, as we move through this series, is how we, not only as a church family, and if you remember last week, we really focused how we are corporately one body, but how also as individuals that we can be builders of hope and relationships and the kingdom of God individually, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in the places we live, work, and play. How can we, as God's people sent out into the world in a myriad of circumstances and spheres of influence, share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so today, as we travel through chapter 2, we're going to think about building that hope on a foundation of prayer by using our influence, patiently building towards key moments of personal engagement with others, all for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, as we approach God's Word, let us go to Him in prayer. Our Father in Heaven, we are not worthy to receive You, but only say the Word and we shall be healed. This morning as we approach your word, Father, we ask that you would change us, that your word would have effect upon us and our lives, that as we study Nehemiah and see the ways in which you worked through him for the sake of your kingdom, that you would, by the power of your spirit, inspire such courage and boldness in our own lives. We pray these things in Jesus' gracious name. Amen. All right, so again, this is Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm actually going to start with the very last part of uh, chapter 1 because it's actually pretty connected. So hear the word of God. Now I was cupbearer to the king in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, 
And if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass until I come to Judah. Arid uh, oh, sorry. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me t- timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is the word of the Lord. And we say, thanks be to God. Wow. All right. I was, I'm very excited. I'm going to try not to talk too much to you guys this morning, but uh, I am a little bit. So, one... Build knowing and expanding our personal influence. And each one of these is going to start with build. All right, I'm doing a nice nice pastor memory thing for you guys. Build knowing and expanding our personal influence. So first of all, let's look at this. This is the emperor or the empire of Persia. It is very, very large. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the... Oh, I can just look at this one. I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, that region, but you can see at the height of its power, the Persian Empire was very, very powerful. It covered swaths and swaths of land. It was the largest known empire at the time. Remember those dreaded Babylonians? Nothing. The Persians conquered them long ago, sending the Israelites back to their home if they wanted to. They weren't worried about that sort of thing. They had conquered Babylon under Cyrus. And Cyrus's great-grandson, Xerxes, eventually pushed into Greece. And you might have heard of that guy before. If you've watched the historical documentary 300, um, you will have seen... Xerxes, that is the Persian emperor in there. It is based on a true story, but obviously it's very dramatic. It has a flair for the dramatic to say. This is the only appropriate image I could find, actually, from the movie. Um, But I watched that back when I was not a believer. Anyway... The <laughs> Xerxes, that kind of imagery, though, of that he is like a god, was very much a reality. They treated the king or the Persian emperor as though he was the god of the known world. And the guy that we talk about today is Artaxerxes. Arta means truth Xerxes. I don't get it. He is the son of this guy. So the guy from 300 that went over there and conquered Greece... His son is this guy. Xerxes himself was murdered by the commander of the royal bodyguard with the help of a guy of of a eunuch. Now, remember, I I read the very end of chapter one, and what did it say? Um, I was the cupbearer to the king. A cupbearer had incredible access, and one of the things that many (laughs) cupbearers, there's my southern accent, many cupbearers, one of the things many cupbearers were were eunuchs, and that was because they had all exclusive access. So this guy Xerxes, Artaxerxes' father, was murdered by the commander of the royal bodyguard with the help of a eunuch, a, maybe like a cupbearer, very similar to Nehemiah. And then there's two versions in history because it was a long time ago. But version one is, after they killed his dad, they tried to convince our, our king in our, in our Bible passage to kill his older brother because they blamed the death on him. And another version, 
Um, Artaxerxes just killed everybody. <laughs> um, it's Game of Thrones, basically, is, is what is going on in this scenario. Again, a very historical documentary I did not watch except when I was an unbeliever. Um, this, so think about it. It's just like family drama to the extreme, right? People are murdering each other because why? Because for the power and the authority to be God of the known world. Little G, of course, we're in church. Now, Nehemiah was this cupbearer. It was an extremely important position. Again, he had access to all of the royal chambers, uh, the place that the king slept at night. His primary duty was to test for poison. <laughs> Would you like that job? Um, I'm just going to drink this real quick. Oh, I didn't die. Here you go, king. Right? That was his position. Um, and it was needed because there was so much murder going on in, uh, in the, the royalty circles. Some go so far, scholars, to describe him as a personal advisor in some ways to the king. As, you, as you'll see, I, I don't think he was a personal advisor, but he does have extremely close access to the emperor of the known world. And what does he do in that position? He seeks to use his influence for the kingdom of God. Another great book to read is Esther. If you're looking for places in pagan context for how do you use the relationships that you have, the influences that are in your life, whether they be work, whether it be entertainment, whatever it may be, who are the people in your life that you have close relationships with? Some of them you might already have. Some of them might be to come. Now, I told you to get your card on the way in. Everybody got your card, hopefully. But look at that card. I designed it and cut it myself. You can tell by how perfect it is. But think about those different circles in your life. Maybe write some names down. Who are some very close friends that you have in your life that are far from Jesus or that are um, God-fearers on the peripheral, people that don't come to church every Sunday. (laughs) Hardly any of us do that, but (laughs) people that don't go to church on a regular basis or get involved. What about some of your family members? Is there anyone that you have influence with in your family? Um, I have some with my immediate family, but that's about where it stops. Work. Do you have people that you work with on a regular basis? What are your regular, close, intimate relationships like Nehemiah that he saw day after day after day that you are in their presence? Many of us who have jobs realize that that is probably the place that you spend most of your time. And most of the relationships that you can cultivate are in that context. What about your social group, whatever it may be that you do? If you don't have names, think of areas where you can build relationships and be intentional about it. Um, If I had to fill this out, uh, generally, sometimes in my life, I I wouldn't have a lot of names to put on there because I'm a raging introvert, friends. But we are called to have... I have some relationships, whether I want them or not, right? You do too, And we are called to that, and we are called to be intentional. I'll give you one little example um, um, of a social group. And it's not really a social group. Back in the pandemic, before I was a believer, I was playing this game called uh, Star Trek. Um, It was an app. I don't remember. It's Fleet Command. All right? And first of all, listen, I'm publicly admitting that I enjoy Star Trek. Um, I like it. 
I think it's a, it's a great show. That said, I have never dressed in costume for it, um, but I do like it. And I have played video games before in my life. I, not right now. I don't have any time. But I was playing that game. And do you know the way I play? Stra- it's a strategy game, by the way. And you know what the, the goal is? The goal for me was build up all of my stuff without spending any money. That's the trick in these games. Uh, and kill everyone else around me, right? There's, that's what your pastor does in his free time. Um, I am not very chatty in the boxes when I'm talking to uh, other Star Trekkers, uh, Trekkies, as you will. Um, That said, someone in this church, I'm not going to tell you who it is, was the person that got me into that game. And that person is very chatty. In fact, I was blown away at her intentionality and the way that she would constantly be in the chats talking to people offering prayer for people. They even did this thing where somebody in their little, their, the group had passed away, and so they, they got all their pretend ships together in this, anyway, you get it. They did this huge fun thing where everyone got together in this secular game and mourned the loss of somebody. That is a great example of wherever you find yourself in life, whatever it is that God is calling you right now and the relationships that you have contact with. That person regularly prays with them, and she is intentional about it. Now, one last side thing before, before we move on to the next point is, what is in the middle of all of that? It's a beautifully drawn stick figure, right? <laughs> it was the pre-made for me. That's you. Friends, and especially if you're visiting with us today, if you have not been reconciled to your Father in heaven if that vertical relationship has not been deeply established, if you yourself at the center of that diagram, which is a little misleading, you at the center of that diagram, if you do not have an abiding relationship in Jesus Christ, then ignore every other circle. You have to start there. From there, it overflows into your own life. From there, it overflows into your immediate relationships. And from there, you even begin to have space in your life to talk to people like neighbors and things like that. I will tell you more about that in just a moment. So, you need to, like Nehemiah, we need to ask, what are our spheres of influence? Oh, look, the picture was there the whole time. Secondly, we need to build patiently towards moments of interaction. Be patient about it. If, we, if you look at the scripture, and I, I mentioned this last Sunday, uh, chapter 1 starts in the month of Kislev, and chapter 2 starts in the month of Nisan, which is about a four-month gap. He has been praying for months and months and months. That prayer in the first chapter, some version of it, or that, or that exact, exact prayer, over and over and over again, patiently waiting for the right opportunity He knows that he has influence with the emperor of the world. And yet he also knows wisely, read Proverbs, friends, to not run into the situation, but to be patient about that relationship. He knows that palace etiquette is that he is not supposed to speak unless he is spoken to. When I uh, first became a believer, I was at a boarding school, and God was at work in that community, and people were coming to Christ all over the place. Students came to Christ. Teachers came to Christ. had nothing to do with me. People, I came to Christ, and one of the, guy, one of the teachers that came to Christ was like, 
boom, I'm a believer. <laughs> and by the way, brand new believers, if you've never encountered them, are really like this. They're really like zealous and love to get out there. He was teaching a class and someone was asking them about the history of Islam. And he's teaching a historical class and he said, you know that, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this out loud. Someone else said this. Um, <laughs> he said to his entire class at this private secular school, you know that Muhammad, when he was writing or saying the words of, uh, of the Quran that the, that, that the devil was <laughs> grabbing his throat and choking him, and that's how the words of the Quran came out. He said that in the middle of a class, right? Okay, if you believe that, fine, but probably not the greatest first impression of a Christian in a secular context, right? We need to be patient um, to be asked in Nehemiah's context to ask to be released from his trusted position. You don't find uh, these trusted young youth that are willing to drink poison for you every day to be asking um, that he be released and that he could be leaving and that he could go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem as a governor of the province was basically something that could result in his imprisonment or even his death. He's basically asking the king, hey, even though you, God of the, little g, of the whole, of this whole universe, of the, the visible world that we see, even though you are that, I want you to reverse a decision that you made. I want you to reverse what was decided about Jerusalem. This is an incredibly, incredibly dangerous. So be intentional about the influences that you have, but friends, be patient in those relationships. It could be as subtle as incorporating God into your everyday language. You could be on a hike and... Um, not like me, but you talk to somebody else while you're on the hike and you say, oh my God, this is an, look at this creation. And just, that's it. And see if there's, see if there, it's like fishing. See if there's a pickup on it. At work, I feel so refreshed from my Sabbath. Or from, Sabbath is a little too hard language depending on where they are. I'm so refreshed from Sunday. And then just move on from there. By the way, don't lie. If you're not being refreshed on Sunday, don't go in and lie. Hey! That's just, no, don't do that, friends. Building authentic relationship takes time and intentionality. When I first moved here, I went to a park nearby um, because I have children and I'm forced to. And I went there and uh, I was letting the kids play and I overheard some people, some, uh, some youngsters, you guys, you know, young, young folk, and they were talking about Christians. And I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. I'm going to listen in. And they said, yeah, that church over there, they're doing this big, you know, free, free, free thing, whatever it is. And they were like, is it real? And the other kid was like, is it really, is it really free? Like, like what's the deal? And they're like, yeah, yeah, they're pretty nice and you can get some free stuff, but they're, they're just trying to get you to join their cult. (laughs) That is the way that they described it. Now, I don't know that everyone has that view, but listen, if you treat a person as an object or as a mission or as a, a goal, they will know it. They will know it immediately. What I'm asking you today is not only to engage with people for the sake of the kingdom of God, but, but engage with them because they are children of God, because they are created in the image of God. And we are, like Jesus, called to love them and to care for them and to see beneath the surface and everything that's going on in their lives and see that God wants that child to come home to him. And yes, of course, that's what we desire, but that is not, they are also people that we are engaged with, whether or not they ever come to Christ. Um, as Nehemiah waited for four months patiently 
and chose the right time to present an opportunity for a spiritual conversation, for hope building, so must we also if we are to be faithful disciples. Now indeed, it's our responsible as faithful disciples to go, sent by Jesus as the Father sent Him, but we build not basking in our own skills, thank God for that, but with prayer as the foundation. If you look at the part of verse 4 after the king says, what is it that you want? We notice that Nehemiah writes, then, when the king said, what do you want? I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah shoots up what we sometimes call an arrow prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard those. A bullet prayer. A quick prayer and recognition that in this crucial moment that has been patiently anticipated and waited for, above all things, he needs God. Prayer doesn't have to be long to be effective. In fact, one of the most effective prayers of the Bible is in Luke 23 when that man is dying on the cross next to him. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. That said, this in Nehemiah's case is instinctual, reflexive prayer that is cultivated from a life that has been saturated with prayer and communion with God. We have a responsibility to know and to expand uh, our personal influence, to build patiently towards these moments. But ultimately, hope only comes through our sovereign God. The tendency for people that when you're like, oh, I'm an evangelist, I'm going to be a missionary, is to get so stuck in that you are doing the right things that we forget where we have to abide in order for that to happen. We notice that Nehemiah does a boatload of praying. Chapter 1 began with prayer and fasting. Um, and in the 13 chapters, Nehemiah records nine prayers. Indeed, those who are going to be boldest for the kingdom of God, who participate in his kingdom and building hope in their relationships, have the greatest need to be in prayer. And this is a good little test for us in where we are in participating in the kingdom of God as missionaries and ambassadors if we don't find ourselves in moments of prayer because we need God to act because we need God to give us courage, because we need God to give us the words to say, because, my Lord, I don't even speak their language. What am I supposed to say in this moment? Then there's a good chance that we are actually quite far from participating in building hope if we never have those moments. Prayer isn't something we do because it's on the list of good things to do, right? That we're required to do because we are Christians.
lives and pray that God himself would bring that person the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know many of you don't believe me, but I am a raging introvert, right? It is only by the grace of God, and frankly, only because he forces me to stay a pastor that I am still a pastor. I tell you that honestly. Um, I've tried to get away many times from him. I uh, have seen him, however, act consistently and regularly when I am put on mission for him. These last few weeks I have been praying, God knows why, for my neighbors. Because he's been, I think it's because Tommy left and he is getting me ready to have to preach to (laughs) y'all every Sunday. I was going to say put up with y'all, but y'all are very easy. (laughs) Y'all are very easy. I do mean that. Um, But I've been praying and one of the things I I love to do is go on walks because I I can do that alone. I can do that with God. But lately I have not had as much free time because my my children have not gone back to school. (sighs) The Lord help us. But... (laughs) Uh, I've been walking through, instead, it's like this quick, I, I live like on a cul-de-sac, you know, like all these little roads, like, Chit! and it's just like this little tiny little walk. For so I've been walking around, and I have been praying as I go, and somewhere along the line, I started praying, Father, I, I'm going to pray for my neighbors that you would let me to start knowing their names. I've been here for two and a, two years, and a, plus a little bit, feels a lot longer, um, and I've never really had any conversations with any of my neighbors, because as soon as I see them, I run back inside my house and close the door. Uh, <laughs> That's the flesh part of me. But I've been walking around and praying, and within the last two weeks, I've met six different people. I've, I, I've learned their names. Next door to us, right after I started to pray, I met Peter and Anthony, and they gave us plums from their tree. Um, I continue to walk. Uh, and a couple days later, I was asking God, like, can you show me a person of peace? And, and we can talk about that another time, but the person in the neighborhood who's connected to everybody else that I might have ways in which to interact. And every day I pray, God, please, Lord, give me courage to not run back into my house because that is what I want to do uh, whenever I see someone. And so um, that next day I was walking and, I, and, and this woman came up to me. And I was like, oh, great. And, <laughs> and she introduced herself and her name was Miriam. And she is the uh, head of the HOA in our neighborhood. I didn't even know we had an HOA in our neighborhood. In fact, I, one of the reasons I bought that house is they said there was no HOA. Uh, here, here's my experience with, of HOA. When I was growing up, uh, I had a lemonade stand out in the front of our neighborhood, and you know, at the sign where you go in, and the HOA said you can't do that. <laughs> and they told us, as, as, as I think I was like nine years old, no, you cannot set up your lemonade stand there. You're ruining the grass. And uh, that was my introduction to HOAs. And, um, and my father <laughs> was like, fine. And he took, the, he, he took it down. But to this day, he grasses that area <laughs> every time that he drives by. That is my introduction to what an HOA is. And yet, when she told me that there was an HOA, my, my heart jumped. Because that was a way in which we were going to connect. And, and she said, it's, it's devastated and no one participates. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. But... But that was a way in which we connect. There was another family down the street. I've got a number of these. I don't want to tell too many. But there was a family down the street. And um, there's an older lady. I call her Naomi because I don't know her name. But um, she, she doesn't speak English. Um, she speaks another language. I have no idea what it is. Um, I saw them again this morning, and I learned a little bit, little bit more about them. Um, but when, whenever I would walk by her, she would just kind of stare at me as older ladies are prone to do, to men with beards in their pajamas walking around their neighborhood. (laughs) She's the right approach, honestly. She's got concern for her family. I don't know. But she moves very, very slowly, which is great because I move very slowly too because I'm from the South and I walk real slow. But uh, she moves very slowly and she does this little walk every day. And so um, I was like, Lord, 
whatever. If you ever want to introduce that lady to me, let me know. And so uh, the other day, I was walking, and, and my youngest daughter, three-year-old Nora, by the way, much more talented evangelist and much cuter than I am, um, we were on a walk, and that lady's face lit up like I have never seen a face lit up before. Um, and she saw her, and she's, she was like, I don't remember what she, I don't know the language, she, she was like, come to me, and Nora ran, I was like, Nora, no! She like ran over there, like jumped into her arm, and like, COVID is running through my head, and I, I don't know who these, who these folks are, like, I got an immunosuppressed kid at home, but the Lord, please keep, her, keep us safe, I don't know. And they spent each, like, like five minutes just hugging each other, staring at each other's so sweet just staring in each other's eyes i'm like come on i gotta go i got work to do um that's how they met and then this morning i was walking back by and i saw the whole family the the, naomi i call her ruth is her daughter i I just met that that there's a man in the house and there was a german shepherd as well it was very aggressive and it ran up to me um and i was but guess what guess what kind of dog i grew up with german shepherds we grew up with german shepherds and i love those dogs that is a god moment god put that into my path but that said, the only thing they asked me is, where was my daughter? So <laughs> I'm building patiently towards a moment, right? When you look in verses 5 through 9, we read that Nehemiah, empowered by prayer, presses his advantage. It's clear that Nehemiah, building with prayer as a foundation, was building prepared for when that moment finally came. That when that moment finally comes with these neighbors where they say, what is it that you do? Who are you? Why are you constantly sitting on your porch, closing your eyes, trying to de-stress? What is it that is going on in this person's life we should be prepared for? And it's clear that Nehemiah was well prepared for this moment. He had been preparing for months, friends. Be prepared for the moment when you have been praying that God is guaranteed to give you. It's going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know how, but if you are persistent in prayer for the Holy Spirit to be upon you and for you to interact with the relationships that you have, he will answer your prayer. It is a promise, like we sang. The king responds favorably, and Nehemiah was ready. He clearly knows the time frame. He knows how long the mission is going to take. He knows what supplies he needs. He asks for letters of conduct. The king is like, whoa, Nehemiah is a smart guy, right? He's asking for supplies from the royal forest. He even accepts a military escort. Nehemiah was prepared. For us, the question becomes, are we prepared for those moments? Are we prepared when we provide opportunities to have spiritual conversations if when we say that thing like, oh, Sunday was so great for me, if they say, well, why? Are we ready for that? If someone asks why it is that you believe in God or more specifically, why it is that you believe in Jesus, could you answer them right now in a coherent way? Would your answer be something that you stumbled through or would it be carefully crafted and ready? For this moment, for that, spe- that specific relationship, cast in a way in which that person can understand the gospel. A good place to start is to just write down, reflect on the way in which Jesus has been in your life. The ways in which he has shown up for you. Because as much as people want to get into theological debates, at the end of the day, the best way for you to share your faith is to share the hope that you have within you because of the way in which you have an abiding relationship in Jesus Christ. Share your story. Maybe this way I I describe it is is have a couple of arrows ready. So like basically an arrow is like a minute to two minutes uh, of your story. So 
they say, hey, what's, go, what's, what's going on on the Sabbath? Why are you so interesting? Well, whoosh, you pull out your arrow, and you, you knock shit, and you, you shoot them with it. <laughs> and that's your one to two minute story about, well, <laughs> it's like a Cupid's arrow, Jeff. It's not like going to Game of Thrones all over the place. Uh, you just shoot them with that arrow. You shoot them with that one to two minute story, and you'll see one of two things happen. Either their eyes will glaze over and they'll turn around and walk away from you, or they'll disengage, or they'll ask for another. They'll say, oh, and you pull out another arrow, and you pull out another, and then you eventually have a conversation. That's one of those ways. Hey, that was free. That's not even in my manuscript. If someone expresses spiritual interest, if they say with interest, as King Artaxerxes says, what is it you want? Then be prepared. Be ready to invite them just to a meal at prime timers. Be prepared to invite them to badminton. Be prepared to invite them to Alex Hill's house. Alex, right there. Whoever, it, whatever it may be, be ready for your moment. Don't be caught off guard. As the Apostle Peter writes, right, we know this, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give what? An answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I can promise you from personal experience that if we build hope knowing and expanding our personal influences, if we do so patiently with prayer as a foundation, that these moments will come. More importantly, you can trust on the promises of Jesus. As you participate in hope building, be prepared for these moments. Now, as we wrap up, as we conclude, let me remind ourselves that as we talk about rebuilding hope, as, a, as, a, as one of our key themes of this series, we must be careful to not become confused. This is very tempting because it's, it's the way our heart just snaps back into works righteousness. It is not our job to build the church. Our job is to be the church. Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome us. Overcome it, right? Thank God for that, that he is the ultimate one and responsible for it. This series that we're on right now, it isn't a building campaign. Or, and listen closely, this is not even an encouragement to bring more visitors to our services, as great as that might be. I want you to still do that, but in this series, I'm not really focused on this invitation model. It is a call for us all, myself included, to be the church, not just go to church. We gather together on Sundays, yeah, but as we noticed last Sunday, most of us are already believers. And beyond that, most of us are already involved in this community. And so when we gather together, it is for equipping and for training so that we will be ready for our moments out there of being the church. The church is not as beautiful as it is. It is not this building. The church is wherever you, the body of Christ with Jesus as the head, wherever you are, wherever you go, whether that's Facebook, whether that's a hike, whether that is on a walk, or whether it's in the places you live, work, and play. You and I, friends, are ambassadors of Christ, of God and His kingdom. And as disciples of Christ, we are to be the church, building hope not with bricks and mortar, but through our personal relationships, our moments of influence, and we recognize, especially in prayer, God's sovereignty in it all. Nehemiah writes in verse 8, And because the gracious hand of God was upon me, the king granted my requests. 
You know, from one point of view, Nehemiah had been praying the impossible. It is likely that Nehemiah, given his context, had perhaps been saying, I have no idea, Father in heaven, how you will do this. Reverse an ancient dictator's mind, but you, I pray, do it. And then the subtext of what he ends up asking um, Artaxerxes is, Jerusalem is in a mess. If you read between the lines, and smart people do this, right? What he is saying is, Artaxerxes, you messed up my hometown. It's burned to the ground, and you personally, through your policies, stopped the rebuilding of it. And then he audaciously requests to be established as a governor and to be given all these letters and everything else. And yet we know that Proverbs says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. If God can change the heart of Artaxerxes, he can change the heart of anyone. Friends, we worship a God who reverses the decisions of ancient dictators. We today, as God's people, are empowered. We are empowered by God's Spirit, and the gracious hand of God, I can tell you, is upon this community. Sometimes we wonder why we aren't experiencing the power of God in our lives. And the truth is, friends, that we don't need God to show up significantly and tangibly in significant ways when all we do is sit in a pew on Sunday and go home. We don't experience this sometimes. We don't experience that spirit because sometimes we aren't doing anything that requires His comfort or that requires His guidance and His leading because we aren't on mission because we aren't hope building in our personal relationships in our communities. It's when we do something about our discontent, when we become hope builders and become participants rather than observers in the kingdom of God, then expect his hand and his spirit to be upon you. Friends, build knowing and expanding your personal influence. Build patiently towards a moment. Build with prayer as the foundation and build being ready for that moment when it comes. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray a bold prayer this morning. I pray that today, this week, that each and every one of us would have an interaction with someone who is far from God, someone who is a God-fearer, someone who does not know you and the peace that we have through what your Son has done on our behalf. Maybe it's not to say anything at all. Be at work in our hearts by the power of your Spirit that binds us together as one community as we go forward. May that Spirit be upon each and every one of us as individuals. May it rest upon us like tongues of fire that we might be ready for these moments. May your hand be upon us as we do these things in your name and as we rely the whole time, not because we are amazing or numerous or great, but only upon your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.